0: Welcome to Every Block Rising. This podcast is dedicated to the realization that our world was imagined by someone and that we can imagine and build something much, much better for all of us. Let's imagine and create together. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Every Block Rising. Um, We hope that you're having a great day if you're driving or if you're having, you know, a little downtime um, for us to for you to listen to us um, today. And we have two very special guests (laughs) We have Teresa and me. We are going to be one of the multiple rotating hosts of this podcast. And so we wanted to take the space to um, for you to know a little bit about us um, so you can get to know us and we can be besties together. So without further hey, ado,
1: <laughs> I, Teresa, I'll pass it to you. Hi, listeners. Um, I typically start my... Episodes with greeting my guests in the following manner. I'll be like, hello, Isa. <laughs> Back like very, yeah. <laughs> but
0: that is like yeah, a very, you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's a podcast. I'm really right, excited in right, right, my right. role as a podcaster. Um, excited to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and I always love talking about myself. I feel like that's a very important trait to have when you're working in activism being able to convey why you do the work that you do um so if you enjoy talking about yourself which most people do activism may be for you this is an informal, especially
0: if you're a leo
1: (laughs) (laughs) and um,
0: that's why we get along
1: yeah exactly
0: and if you like talking about yourself, you can always um, click the link below because we have applications open to receive more guests. Um, and so become a member and join us on this. Please be okay. So, my question to you is who are you?
1: Who am I? That's, I honestly, I'm 27 for our listeners. Um, mm-hmm. If you can relate to the, fear of turning 30, um, but also understanding that I'm, I'm still a child and I don't know anything, which is a little comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about who I am, I think through recording these and talking to people and just remembering like who I was six years ago when I started working and graduated from school, um, to who I am now. I am an immigrant. I am from the Dominican Republic. Um, I struggled a lot with that identity um, in my later years. Um, I moved here when I was 17 for undergrad. And I always kind of felt like I was leaving something behind and missing my home. But then the States became my home. I've been here for 10 years. So I finally have. Like a good sense of like where I came from and my roots, um, but knowing that like, I'm in a new country and now this is my home. Um, and I have some family here, which always helps. Um, and I am a dog mom. I have a dog who is 10. I'm a big fan of older dogs because nobody likes them because they're like, oh, they're you know, they don't play but they're the most grateful and the best ever. Um, And I am someone who just wants to see things improve and be better than I found things, however you want to take that. Um, I just see things in a way, I think not a lot of people see things that way of like, I try to understand why something is the way that it is. And I like to have all the information, um, sometimes to my detriment. So it's. sometimes it's good to not to know too much, but unfortunately I do. Um, and want to see things get better and doing things to get, for things to get better, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes you get pushback from people. Um, and sometimes people don't like you because of it. So if you, any of the listeners can relate to that. I hear you, but sometimes people, people are either love you or hate you and people that love you know that you are right or die. Um, so that's who I am to my core. Isa, who are you? That is a very tough question. <laughs>
0: I am in the same wave. I turned 30 in I turned 30 in four months. Um, and I am a thinker. I am um, a fixer, which, you know, it's it's it takes a lot sometimes because because sometimes there are things that you just cannot. But I um, like you, I am also an immigrant. I'm from Chile. Um, I moved here around the same age as you. Um, And it is
1: very hard for me to. be in community with folks
0: who do not understand what that means, mm. right? Um, I moved here with no family. I just had my mom. Um, came here without knowing the language. um, Came here without my friends, you know, at the peak of my teenage years where you're, you know, having friends and going out and going to parties. And so I feel like life was taken away from me um cuz my mom is like okay in 2 weeks we are going to Miami and i'm like what is Miami <laughs> um and i didn't know because i i used to live in a shanty town um i come from one of the most dangerous poorest areas in my country and so i didn't have access to you know the privilege of questioning why things are the way they are, I was in survival mode. I was in survival mode 24-7, you know. There used to be a lot of shootings in my house. Every other day, somebody would die. And so my body got used to that, and my mind also got used to that. And so I grew up surrounded by a lot of violence, um, you know, um, from men in my family from the government. Um, we were displaced in a dictatorship in 1973. And so my whole family was just thrown to the skirts of the Andes without schools, without um, hospitals, without public transportation. And so we had to make do with what we had. And we had to fix things. You know, if they didn't work, you had to fix it. And it's usually the women in Hispanic families are the ones that, you know, do everything. And so moved here, and I carry around the pressure of leaving a better world for my nephews and my cousins that come after me. And that is a very strong pressure that I hold because, you know, one person cannot do it. And so that's how I got into. I think one of the most life-changing um, times in my life is when somebody told me, and this is why I decided, you know, to do the podcast. Um, I remember it's Adrian Marie Brown. If y'all don't know them, look them up. Um, I was in a workshop and they said, you know, somebody imagined this. It does not need to be like this. Like It, it doesn't. Like this is our reality for now. Yes. And also men made this like human made this. And because human made this, we can undo it and we can create new ways of being. And that completely changed my perspective around the world. And that's why I'm here to let people know that other realities are possible. You know, like, a world that is safe and that is joyful and that is, you know, full of family and community as possible. And so that's me. I talk a lot too. Sorry.
1: I love that. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know that that was where the premise had, had come to you through. I think that that's that I, ha- I haven't thought about it that way. Like, wow, the way that things are is because mm-hmm. literally somebody was like, oh, this is the way that it should be. And they were in a right. position of power and were in a position of power for a long time. And now we live in a system that reflects that imagined world. So why the hell can't we imagine another world and right. make it so? And
0: I think that rings true for most people like us, like working class, immigrant, (laughs) (laughs) for the global majority. Language barrier. Right. That rings rings true for the global majority, right? Because people of color, Black, Indigenous, Latinos, um, Indian, um, you know, we are the global majority and then that rings true for a lot of us you know the fact that we are following what a very small group of people is telling us to do and that that doesn't go with our self-interest or things that are good for our community you know and ourselves like for example take an immigrant worker right an immigrant, undocumented worker working three or four jobs. Making literally crumbs to survive for them and their families. That is not humane. Like that is not what we are here to do. You right. Know? So,
1: I mean, you don't even have to. A mm-hmm. lot of us are and have been in survival mode. Because and I think that also that's like the great equalizer. Because I feel like for a really long time, minorities, right? We 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 bear the brunt, the worst of it, right? Because of the way that the systems are. But I feel like now there's like a generalized sense of struggle because of this pandemic. A lot of people have mm-hmm. lost their jobs, regardless of socioeconomic status, uh, gender, race, religion, where you live in the world or you're going through a war if you are in Ukraine, right? That's something that's completely outside of your control. It knows, it doesn't discriminate, it doesn't know who you are, but it still affects you. And I think for better or for worse, we're really at a time where the the entire world is experiencing like the exact same thing and that's so weird to think about. And I think about like right the last generation that went through that it's probably baby boomers so that's why it's so it that made me think about like generational experiences you know you're talking about your family that was displaced during um during the 70s um which oh my I love isabel Allende like the that time period of Chilean history uh, for our listeners least read up on it um, because that was the case for a lot of Latin American countries at that time
0: Um, and still to this
1: day, which we don't, we're not going to get into, but it made me think about like generational experience. Um, And I was talking about this with someone this morning about how my mom came to the States when she was 12 and had no idea about the language. She escaped a military invasion from the United States. Imperialism, yay! I know it's so wow. weird. To think about it's so strange, it's so weird. It was the second one in the in the span of fifty years, so that was it's great. Her father was in the military during a dictatorship. To so going into that, I can only imagine the 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 trauma that she went through and struggling to get through school and make friends and everything. And then I think about my nephew who is 18 now, but he came to the States when he was seven and he was, he's having, he was having a lot of the same issues that my mom was having, like having issues, accessing opportunities. Um, You know, my sister was in, you know, she was here on a, on a visa and then was able to get a green card, which is incredibly, we're incredibly lucky that we're able to have that because a lot of people don't. So I'm like, how is it that in the span of like 60 years, we're still having the same kind of conversations and the same issues come up over and over again. So that kind of brings me to like, to thinking about imagining a better world, right? Where we're teaching history, like real factual history in schools, and we're like really giving opportunities to immigrant children and they feel like they can be their full selves um and like how do I how do I play into that right like how I know that my work you know definitely contributes to to that and I'm sure that you feel that way as well but like in this I guess I want to know Isa, in this imagined world that you're in like How do you contribute to making that imagination a reality? So
0: I, when I grew up, I always wanted to be a teacher. I think, you know, the people that shaped me were my educators back home because they really, truly believed in me. And I went to a very poor school um, and I remember them saying, like you know, he said, "You, you, you're gonna go far. You're gonna go far," and it, maybe it wasn't even true, right? But I believed it when they said that to me, um, and I always wanted to to teach people. I remember my grandma was a farm worker. Um, she died of cancer because of pesticides um, when she was working. She was so exposed to it that they just ate her alive. And in Chile, the um, the health systems are not great. And she was on a waiting list for surgery for four years. And so she just couldn't make it. And um, they didn't diagnose it until they opened her up. And she didn't know how to read or write. And that is the like a very common life story for people in my neighborhood. And so I remember I taught her how to write. I was in the fir- first grade Um, reading, taught her how to read. And so I always, you know, felt joy to know that what I learned and what was taught to me could be passed to other people and people that I care about. Um, So I became a teacher in a school here in, in the area. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved talking to people and like Seeing in their eyes how they're, they're, they make sense of the world based on, you know, history or stories or, or life stories of people. And so I always wanted to be an educator. And so I I'm like, hmm, I went to school for political science, sociology and anthropology, teach and organize. People that are working class, like my uncles and my aunties and my grandma, and to make that, that this, what we're talking about right now, accessible mm-hmm. for people who didn't have the privilege of going to school like I did, or the privilege of no, of knowing how to read like I did, or having the privilege to know how governments work and how it affects them. And so that's why that's that's what I think my role is in my life to make sure that I pass the knowledge that I have to people that can after pass it on to other people and other people and um to just imagine and create something that is good for all of us together
1: I love that what about you I just I but, But before I say I just I think it reminds me of like when I'm sure you heard this too from your from your mother or your um it usually comes from a woman. um they say, nobody can take away your education. That's the one thing that no like you can be homeless, have no job, have no prospects, nothing but your education isn't it's in there, and it nobody can take that away. um and that's just such a powerful thing because like for generations, and I'm sorry, I'm going on this tangent, but for generations, men have taken things away from women. Um, and that's such a powerful image in my head of like what you just described, like passing down tradition and tradition doesn't necessarily have to be like a ceremony or, or, or have religious things, right. It can be literally like knowledge of things that you found to be valuable in your life and that can affect your community and passing that not just to your children if you choose to have them right or your or the younger people in your family but you can actually teach your elders which is so such a radical idea because we're taught right respect your elders what they say is the law no it's it's a it's a reciprocal education process that we should all go through so, oh, I love that. I just wanted to yeah. you know, commend you on that. I think my thing I'm I can be very like analytical and like really, really big picture, um, which sometimes is not great for um, I, I I just think not a lot of people, you know, if people think that way, that's great. but I don't I feel like people can be really like self-centered and individualistic and very like immediate. So when you're talking to them about like a world that can be in existence in 10 years or 20 years, or even when you're trying to convey a problem, like climate change, people are like, oh, 10 years, that's nothing. Like I'll be dead by then. And it's like, hmm, you're, you're 25. You probably won't be dead by then, but all right, go off. <laughs> but I, I think that my role is to constantly challenge people, whether they like it or not, whether it makes them uncomfortable or not to do things a little bit differently, um, and have them thinking about things that they don't usually think about. Um, I think my, that's something that my mom instilled in me. Um, like when I was younger, I was listening to like Jim Morrison, like the doors, like really like deep, like self-reflective, broody things when I was young and like watching Barbara Streisand films, and I was like, oh my god, a woman director in the 60s, that's incredible. So just really kind of that sense of like breaking what I think is normal and making it better is like my, I think my role in a lot of things that I do. And that all came to like a catalyst in politics for me. Um, I think it started when Obama won. Like I can vividly remember being in my childhood home, watching CNN at 13, watching Barack Obama accept, you know, the presidency. And I was like, that's so wild cuz like in my world in the DR which is incredibly racist and colorism is very real i've never seen like a powerful black person in my life really even though my dad is a little bit he's he's darker skin but like right because of colorism right they don't necessarily identify as that but like i'm like somebody unabashedly from a marginalized group is in the most powerful job in the world and that kind of delved into what other thing what other people can be in powerful positions like what about women right i was very aware of my gender from a very young age as a lot of women are in latin american countries um and seeing like my mom she's a business owner and like my sister she literally graduated from her masters pregnant with her kid and i'm like that is so cool. And I didn't see that in my friends, moms and sisters, but they were a huge influence in their lives. So I was just always really aware that like things are the way that they are, but it's okay to try to disrupt them a little bit for better or for worse. Right. So you just gotta, I just want to encourage all of the little girls and the young women Um, to just like, yes, you can be aware of who you are and accept of the short, like the challenges that society places upon us, but you speaking out in the end, and as you get older, it'll be for the better. Trust me, I built a career out of it. So there are ways where we can come
0: together to Build something that works for all of us. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you see, like, that's why I love working at an independent organization, because both parties oftentimes are very trashed. They're citizens.
1: Period. Everything is so... in the Binary. Tr- it's binary and it's transactional. Very transactional. Very transactional. So
0: we've been talking for like an hour. (laughs) So we've been talking about, you know, who we are and how our identities shape the way that we see the world. Now, if we could come up with the world that you want. So if we can talk about um, the world that you want to build, what does that world look like to you? What does a good world look like to you?
1: To me, it's a world that protects its natural resources, right? I grew up, um, I grew up incredibly privileged in Santo Domingo back in the DR. I could, if I wanted to, I could walk to school. It was safe for me to walk to school. I had, I lived in an apartment, but I had like a what we call Marquesina, so like in the in the parqueo, the parking lot of the building. It was big enough for me to ride my bike and for me to wear my roller skates and like fall on my ass and do all the awesome things that you can do when you feel safe as a kid. My niece doesn't have that, right? So I want her to have that. Um I want to live in a world where women are literally the same as men in every way, shape, or form where women don't get discriminated against for taking time off to take care of their children. And men are able to take time off and take care of their children too if they want to and choose to. I want to live in a world where elders are treated with dignity. Um, oh my God, I just got emotional. <laughs> um What is happening? It's okay. It's okay. We have to cut this out. Um, my, my dad is, um, he has Alzheimer's, um, and the way that he was treated when he was, um, towards the end of his professional career was so like demeaning and not, reflective of the the contributions that he made, um, to his company. So I just have a lot of like respect for people who make it so late in their lives with, and I want to make sure that they have the dignity and the space, um, to have a good end of their lives and be able to retire and rest. Um, the fact that my mom still has to work full time to take care of my dad is Abhorrence, and I don't want my kids or my nephews and my nieces to experience that. So where elders have dignity and respect um, and where we still have most of our beaches and islands intact because we stopped climate change and everybody is able to live in a world that it in a city or a town that is has clean air and clean water basically like Denmark (laughs) or like Finland world that you imagine
0: the world that I imagine I want to um be able to have time with my family I want to um make sure that we all live with dignity um, to have our basic needs met like clean water, you know, the world not falling into pieces, um, having our beaches, living in a clean environment, having food, like healthy food, not genetically <laughs> modified food. like and and every time I talk to people about this um, with the episodes that we have done, people talk about, you know, They want clean water. They want clean food. They want to be able to go and have money to to pay for food and to pay for a roof. If you look at the housing in Miami right now, it is wild how expensive everything is. And everything is going up. Gas is going up. All the prices of veggies are going up, going, going up. And so I think it's wild that these basic things that everybody should have access to is something that I want my, my, my world to look like. Because it is the fact that we don't have that and that we're asking for things that are a right for people. And we don't have that. And so I want um, people to have access to education, to good quality education with teachers that care about them. Um, I want teachers to have a good place to work. I want workers not to be exploited by their bosses. Um, to have, you know, um, farm workers live with dignity. My grandmother works from, used to work. She. Um, When the pandemic happened, she uh, was fired, working for almost 50 years in the same place. She worked from 12 p.m. to 2 a.m., from Monday, no, from Tuesday to Sunday. She is 80 years old. In what world do we treat our elders This way, where they have to work 12, 13 hours every day to bring food to their tables, you know, immigrant folks who have to work three, four jobs to sustain their families. That just does not make sense to me. And so a world that appreciates motherhood and community building and joy. You know, I want people to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to not worry about, um, you know, if I don't get paid next paycheck, I'll be homeless. So I want to, I want people to, to live their best lives and their best selves with joy. I think that's what, when I think about that world, it gives me a lot of hope to continue. If there was a billboard in the middle of I-95 where all your neighbors and all the people you cared about saw it, and maybe the people you don't care about, everybody, everybody
1: saw it, all your block. What would it say? Embrace conflict. (laughs) You do not want the billboard to say that. I do, I do. Yeah, and I want a picture of, like, two people, like, like arguing, like, a picture mm-hmm. of people arguing, and then next to it, a picture of people hugging after the argument. Mm-hmm. So it creates, it's like a Pavlovian response to change the, like, negative connotation that conflict has, mm-hmm. so people start thinking about conflict in a positive way. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember when I fought with my friend, and then we became even closer, because right. we had one argument. What would your banner say? Would it be on I-95 or would it be somewhere else? I think mine would be. Could be in
0: 395, like in downtown Miami or maybe I-75 during traffic hour. Mm -hmm. And it would say.
1: Rich people do not care about you. go to
0: (laughs) floridarising.org to find out more (laughs) honestly and I think it's very funny how like old classmates of mine that make 30k 40k disagree with that experience you know like they're exploiting you too they don't care they don't care if if rich people paid their due taxes because we pay taxes. Sure do. You know if corporations and let's say not even millionaires, billionaires, right, mm-hmm. pay their their fair cut of everything that they make and all the people or that any, they.
1: Flood, any tax at all, Just at all. You
0: would not have to worry about your appendix bursting and being in debt for the rest of your life. You would have the right. To healthcare, which is a like it's not a privilege to have health care it is a right that we have and so that's what my my so banner find, is.
1: find your local billionaire write them letters <laughs> tweet at elon musk <gasps>
0: uh, <laughs> yeah i think you know and the fair is fair right if if i'm paying my taxes why wouldn't a, a billion trillion dollar corporation pay their taxes? That's
1: a good question. Fair is
0: fair. Fair is fair. Yeah. Okay. okay. We've been here for a while, y'all. <laughs> thank it's you for so sticking lovely. with us. All right. Thank you, Teresa, for being here. We're going to hear more of you very, very soon. Um, and thank you all for listening and for um, you know, putting up, <laughs> putting up with us this whole time. <laughs> and if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can follow us at Florida Rising on Instagram and Twitter. So you get more calls to action to build the world that you want. That's it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We appreciate you. If you haven't done so already. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like the show and would like to support us, make sure to go to FloridaRising.org and become a member. Until next
1: time.